Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIBC. Good evening, I'm Tony Kinnett, and uh, you guessed it, things are getting weird the Monday before Thanksgiving. We've got a lot to cover, so let's take a look at the news. U.S. Supreme Court declines to review Derek Chauvin's conviction in the George Floyd's death case. Now, you remember this case in which Derek Chauvin was castigated on social media because video and a picture showed him leaning his knee on George Floyd's neck. And so there was a really ugly statue that was built. We burnt down a bunch of Midwestern cities. We said, obviously, Derek is is infested with racism and white supremacy. And this is all just yet another example of how the white police officer is beating down on the black man. And then the autopsy came out uh, for George Floyd. And uh, line three of the autopsy says that uh, George Floyd sustained no life-threatening injuries. None of them were identified. Um, There was no facial, uh, oral mucosal, or conjunctivital uh, difficulties for George Floyd, um, which means he didn't choke. And uh, also his his mucosal layer um, in his nose and throat doesn't indicate that he was choked. Uh, There was no injuries of the anterior muscles of the neck or the uh, laryngeal structures. Um, there's literally nothing in George Floyd's uh, death or his, his physical condition that suggests that any kind of action by the police officers caused the death of George Floyd. What was a serious problem for George Floyd? Well, the high amounts of fentanyl, norfentanyl, and methamphetamines in his bloodstream. So much so that, again, in the video that circulated the internet, well, not the video that everyone saw, which started as soon as uh, Derek Chauvin was leaning on George Floyd's neck. No, the other video in which you saw leading up to uh, the wrestling of George Floyd to the ground in which George Floyd went into this drug manic episode, you know, clearly evident of someone who's experiencing an overdose. So, of course, like any individual who feels wronged and is going to spend life in prison for something that clearly didn't look like any kind of a racial whatever, he sent an appeal out and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court has declined to review the case. Uh, There is not necessarily any decent reason for this, at least not one that I've seen so far, Uh, but uh, I I am just going to have to wait, I guess, to see what kind of reasoning the Supreme Court would would take. It, It looks like to me um, as though justice isn't being served here. But, you know, I'm, I'm not a lawyer and I guess I'll have to wait as, as many as you are, you know, along with waiting for the Epstein files and uh, waiting for a number of other things that we're certainly never going to see take place. Speaking of things that I thought I would never see, Twitter slash X is suing Media Matters, the leftist media company, for basically a coordinated media attack trying to ac- accuse uh, Twitter owner Elon Musk 
of anti-Semitism. And here's the situation. So uh, about a week ago, Elon Musk was in a Twitter thread in which someone said that a lot of left-leaning Jewish organizations for a long time stoked anti-white racism, uh, anti-Hispanic racism, anti-Asian racism, because there were a lot of Jewish groups on the left that, shockingly, allied with the left. And now a lot of those Jewish groups are realizing that those individuals that they allied with don't care about Jews at all, as Jews are being slaughtered um, in Israel. And of course, Jews in the United States are being attacked by all of these pro-Hamas protesters and queers for Palestine. And so the, the thread was criticizing these Jewish groups that all of a sudden are having a change of heart. And Elon Musk agreed. He said, you have told the whole truth. And the Internet lost their ever-loving minds. And it was kind of a weird comment. If you take that one tweet completely out of context and you focus on that succinctly. Only there are a lot of other tweets in context in which uh, Elon Musk has been very openly supportive of defending Jewish people. He's reaffirmed his support of even kicking people like U.S. Congresswomen off of the platform because uh, of a lot of anti-Semitic comments they've made, like the pro-Hamas chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, which is a genocidal slogan calling for the ethnic cleansing of Jews. And Elon Musk has stood against that. But alas, Media Matters coordinated a large attack between individual groups like Disney and Apple, uh, as well as uh, I think Liongate Studios uh, and a lot of other like small organizations to boycott advertising on Twitter, try to bankrupt the organization. And Elon is basically going after them in a lawsuit uh, to kind of push back against this narrative and try to turn some kind of tide against these kind of coordinated media attacks that we've seen in the last couple of years. I have no idea how that's going to play out in court. Um, whenever you basically have to prove a situation in which slander or libel is a situation. You have to prove malicious intent. So you not only have to prove that the intent of the person was to ruin you, you have to prove that they did so maliciously. This is what a lot of Democrats in Indianapolis don't understand. Like in the Hamilton Southeastern situation in which a superintendent left and, uh, School board members were accused of of getting rid of Dr. Stokes because of racism. And they, they said they didn't like her. And therefore, that means it's slander. No, that's that's not how slander works. Slander and libel are notoriously difficult cases to prove. And uh, I don't know if Elon swinging this hammer, although he is swinging it very hard, is going to do anything. Uh, but we'll certainly have to take a look at it as it progresses. The most damning information to come out of the last couple of days, though, is a letter being sent out from the Department of the Army, the Office of the Deputy Chief of Staff, to former service members who were fired for not taking the COVID-19 vaccine. And I say the, the COVID-19 vaccine um, because it's uh, not actually, a, well, I really shouldn't say vaccine. It's not a vaccine. A vaccine like the smallpox vaccine, the polio vaccine, the chickenpox vaccine is when your body fights uh, a wounded or a dead shell of a virus. The mRNA uh, COVID procedure uh, is basically a way to rewrite how your cells fight certain viral strains and was largely untested and rushed and has caused a very serious series of problems. And the Department of the Army fired a lot of our nation's soldiers, uh, over 8,000 service members, by the way, um, for refusing the vaccine. And only 43 out of the 8,000 service members discharged for refusing the vaccine has have returned as of October 5th, which is the last time that those numbers were available. And so now the Department of the Army is sending out a letter 
saying that they're notifying everyone of new guidance regarding the correction of military records for former members. And they're letting everyone know that if you were, you know, dishonorably discharged for refusing the vaccine, then you can now not only reapply for service, but you can also get that information corrected. Now, the Department of Defense and the Department of the Army, they're not correcting the records of the soldiers who were fired and discharged for not taking the vaccine. Like if, if I made some kind of a mistake in my company or my family, it would be my obligation to correct it. No, they have reached out to former soldiers who were politically discharged and telling them, hey, you know, if you want to, I'm sure that you may have lost jobs or opportunities since then. But if you really want us to correct your records, then you can go to these links and and go through all of these forms. And we'll probably take a look at this and, and return some of your status. And, and people wonder why we are in such a serious recruiting crisis in our military right now. This is how we treat our soldiers and our former soldiers. It's disgusting. First, you fire them for not getting an untested vaccine, which has a very strong correlative rate with people in their 20s and 30s and their teens. Uh, just an absolute disgrace, basically undergoing serious heart conditions that are very closely correlated and possibly directly causal according to information that we've received from uh, the Danish Ministry of Health, as well as, as several other in Western Europe and Scandinavia. And now the Department of the Army is reaching out to individuals. I, I swear I hate brass so much. This is how brass treats officers and enlisted. Oh, well, if you really want to be corrected, if you really want the black mold in the barracks to be fixed, well, then you'll have to go and do something about it. That's not good leadership. It's pathetic. The Department of the Army under President Biden, this this modern bureaucratic infestation of garbage has ruined the United States military. It is disgusting. I have talked to several individuals in the last week, um, some of whom I was I was a cadet with, uh, several of whom are just friends that I've grown up with that are either currently serving or have just recently left the service. And it is as bad as you are imagining. I, I cannot imagine how we would even begin to fight some type of a military conflict at this point and take it seriously. We're still the strongest military in the world, but my goodness, are we in the business of shooting ourselves in the foot as much as possible and putting as much red tape between getting anything done and the individual who's expected to get those things done? Lastly, but certainly not leastly, there is an interesting situation out of the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals. They have struck down a devastating blow against the, the left's racket to make election integrity borderline illegal. So you may remember the Voting Rights Act that was passed by the Biden administration, which was supposed to give individuals all of these expansive voting rights. Um, what it actually did was gave individuals a lot of ammunition to sue local governments for requiring things like an ID to vote, which was absolutely Pitiful, to, to say the least. And now the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals has overturned it, and the left is losing their minds. We're going to be following this closely as well, because I do not think this is the last that you have heard of it. Up next, we're going to be talking with Timothy Head, and he's got a lot of interesting information coming out of the Faith and Freedom Coalition regarding the Biden administration's disastrous, and I do disastrous, falling away with Black and Hispanic voters just a year before the 2024 presidential elections. You are listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This is the Tony Kinnett Cast on 93 WIPC. The Biden administration and the DNC are having a tizzy because it doesn't look like they'll be able to pull as many black and Hispanic voters to the polls in the upcoming election, nor any election afterward, as the uh, left agenda seems to be putting a lot of distance between the Biden administration's goals and the voters it is trying to win. Joining us this evening to talk a little bit about this is Timothy Head. He's the executive director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Uh, Prior, he was the district director for a member of the Texas Congressional Delegation. Tim, how's it going? Uh, I'm, uh, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I'm certainly doing better at the moment than the Biden administration is. So uh, thanks for talking about this uh, interesting uh, slide that they're experiencing right now. I mean, it really is. I mean, especially if it's something big enough to spook the Hill, to spook uh, the Daily Beast, several other publications online are starting to allude to what could be considered a voting crisis for the Biden administration. And that's the word that's used is crisis. How has the left lost uh, black and Hispanic voters so quickly? Well, uh, so, you know, in, in order to unpack uh, both of those voter, v- those voting kind of blocks, uh, they're, they're different enough that you really have to kind of treat them, uh, treat them differently. But uh, but there are some overlap. And so uh, this is uh, in some ways, it's kind of the art and the science of, of crafting uh, a presidential narrative, a message that appeals to all uh, all audiences, especially these two critical audiences, and then actually delivering on policies hmm. that, uh, that make a difference, move the needle for these uh, constituencies. And frankly, uh, the Biden administration and the Biden campaign uh, are failing miserably on both fronts. So, you know, at first, first of all, uh, interestingly enough, the the um, the Trump administration was actually fairly solid on uh, on African American policies, um, not only making making promises but also delivering on those. And so, uh, you know, we uh, we actually saw in 2019 and then even into 2020 the passage of the First Step Act, which was the um, the really critical criminal justice bill that uh, that the Trump administration passed that we had faith and freedom were actually very uh, integral in working with them on mm-hmm. uh, that uh, went into effect in 2018 started uh, uh, having people um, that were uh, not risks to society come out of prison in 2019 so a surprisingly low recidivism rate a reoffense rate for that for that piece of uh, of, uh, of legislation and that started to trickle in so the media would not report on this but just literally enough human beings and their families started uh, being impacted by this uh, that by 2020 Trump actually got about 12 and a half percent of the black vote which uh, typically hovers four to maybe six percent for most Republicans so 12 percent doesn't seem like a big number until you kind of look at that historically uh, and, uh, and generally speaking most people in, in presidential politics believe that 15 percent is basically the tipping point uh, so Biden has actually reversed some of those policies uh, and the, the African-American community has noticed. And then on top of that, uh, a lot of, uh, of policy of economic policies like uh, like uh, the opportunity zones um, that uh, that the Trump administration put in place are for a lot of urban neighborhoods across the country uh, also started to deliver and actually have have positive re- repercussions also started to get noticed. And and I want to build on top of that because this is something that out in the field I've actually observed. When I went up to uh, 
the Clinton Township just north of Detroit to kind of observe the UAW strike outside of the Ford manufacturing assembly plant. Um, I spoke with several voters who were black who told me that they they may have thought he was kind of an a-hole was how one lady described him, but she sure had money in her pocket and food on the table when he was in office. And so it's not just social policy, but it's inner city economic policy and the drive of like solid manufacturing um, economic striving indicators that really is a danger to the Biden e- economy uh, kind of propaganda going forward because they can't sell what they haven't delivered on. And it's not like black voters are, are dumb. They recognize emptiness on the table or at the grocery store just as much as any other voter. And yet the Biden administration rolls around praising all of these strides they've made and not only black voters, but Hispanic voters aren't buying it either. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what's causing Biden trouble with Hispanic voters. So, uh, so look, I think that you can tether both of these uh, and, and uh, certainly significantly to uh, the economy writ large. Just, uh, you know, we have uh, very kind of isolated recoveries from, uh, from inflation of 2020 and 2021. But uh, frankly, those tend to be in kind of like technology, you know, sectors and, and kind of healthcare sectors, very government driven or very high net worth, uh, you know, sectors, but not uh, kind of uh, normal, you know, middle class or lower cra- cla- class, you know, blue collar, those, those have not recovered whatsoever. And so, you know, and then on top of that, this is another piece that I, I think a lot of people miss uh, misunderstand on, on Latino voters, that uh, open borders really are not, do, they do not resonate. So the, 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 uh, the overall um, Latino vote actually has striations to it. And so a lot of Mexican Americans that have, that have either come in the last, say, three generations, especially the last two generations, actually despise open borders, partly because um, they they know that their family, either they themselves or their parents or their grandparents had to, you know, wait in line. And sometimes a mother had to come and the father had to come later or vice mm-hmm. versa, you know, so they had to experience and go through the the um, uh, the incons- in, in uh, the, <laughs> the the challenges of, of a justice system. And so they don't like just people being able to shortcut the system. And then on top of that, they also know that a ton of people that are coming illegally are are either dangerous people or, you know, certainly are not contributing to American society. So a lot of Latinos, uh, you'd be surprised how few of them actually um, enjoy or, or appreciate uh, kind of the open borders policies, especially when it's just so rampant and, and kind of uh, in your face right now as, mm. uh, as the Biden, uh, Biden um, border, border Patrol uh, policies right now. So that actually he actually loses votes in the Latino community um, just because a lot of kind of high-minded sort of, uh, you know, aristocrats think, oh, well, we'll just let more, uh, you know, more um, uh, Latin, Latin, Latinos or, or uh, Central Americans come in. And, and you know, sure, certainly everybody uh, that's of Latino descent in America is going to love that. Not true at all. So you need to actually tether. Education also is yet another challenge that, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of especially Latino uh, families don't like kind of this nanny state that's moved into uh, mm. public education and, and, uh, and kind of limiting the input or, or uh, uh, oversight of parents uh, in, in, uh, in their own kids' education. And so uh, this is kind of like this, uh, this convergence of a lot of things. It's like they're kind of, it, it's a bit of a political Murphy's Law. Everything that, that, they, that they're doing actually is going poorly. Uh, and then on top of all that, all they see is kind of national wars, uh, you know, international wars um, that uh, are, are kind of snubbing or turning their nose. The White House continues to ignore domestic policy, which, you know, again, struggling Americans don't appreciate. 
Absolutely. We're on with Timothy Head of the Faith and Freedom Coalition talking a little bit about what looks to be the disastrous undercurrent that's coming for the Biden administration in the next election. As a New York Times and Siena poll released earlier this month found that 22 percent of black voters in six key battleground states would choose Trump in next year's election over Biden, not just a generic Republican. And and this is kind of what I want to bring to a head, no pun intended, uh, kind of in the last few minutes here. Do you see any GOP candidate swinging through the primary and posing a threat to Biden in the election with black and Hispanic voters? Because we know that DeSantis has pulled it off in Florida, but I'll be honest with you. I'm rather ignorant of how, uh, per se, Nikki Haley or Vivek Ramaswamy performs among those uh, voting demographic blocks. Well, I, you know, frankly, uh, at the moment, I would say, you know, we're, we're inside of two months from the, the first vote or first caucus uh, meeting there in um, in Iowa. And, and you know, Trump kind of continues to expand his lead there uh, in Iowa. And then you can kind of tick down the, the list, Nevada, uh, New Hampshire, and even in South Carolina. So, mm-hmm. you know, I would say that uh, it's unknown at this point on, on Ramaswamy. Uh, frankly, there's just not a whole lot of polling. There has never been a, you know, a reason to poll, obviously. Guy hadn't run for office before. Right. Uh, DeSantis does pretty well um, with Latinos, particular, uh, particularly in, uh, in Florida. But, uh, but bear in mind, you know, that uh, there's, a, there's a significant um, the, the Cuban refugee population and, 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 and immigrant population, uh, you know, is, is kind of complicated and then also separate from the Puerto Rican. Um, uh, uh, so, so he actually does that. That's a different vote than the Mexican American vote. Uh, and, and, you know, things like Venezuelans and Hondurans, et cetera. Right. Uh, but I, I think one, you know, one thing that I think is really important to, to also recognize here, um, uh, we do a lot of work across uh, uh, party lines and also across demographics around the country at Faith and Freedom. And uh, I would say one of the most important and I think uh, encouraging things about this uh, that's reflected, I think, in this poll right here is I would basically say that there are definitely are remnants of racial challenges in America. But more and more, we're seeing just people not vote on their racial ethnicity, but they're voting based on their own you know, kind of personal economic uh, positioning and their prospects and their opinion uh, for their kids. Absolutely. And, uh, and so they're not just, you know, more and more African-American voters and also Latino voters are not just saying, I'm going to vote for candidate X because everybody in my community votes for candidate X. Uh, that we're actually seeing uh, more individualized um, uh, decision-making and frankly, more tolerance of, of decision-making, right? So we're not seeing like pressure, uh, really overwhelming, sometimes historical pressure placed on people. If you want to kind of uh, deviate from the norm, a lot of black voters are, are voting. I mean, we saw about 19 and a half percent of black male voters vote for Trump. And, um, and, and there was no kind of, uh, community repercussions for that. So I, I think that we're actually seeing uh, positive kind of sociological trends in this that, that looks like a political crisis for the Democrats, but I think is a great message and, and reality for America as we move forward. Absolutely. Timothy Head, Executive Director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition. Thanks so much for hopping on and talking with us a little bit about this trend. Thanks so much for having me. God bless. You are listening to the Tony Kinnecast on 93 WIBC. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Go, go. 
is the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. Another day, another leftist rag shutting down after 16 years of disappointing absolutely everyone. The feminist magazine Jezebel. Yes, they they named the feminist magazine after one of the most evil women in all of scripture is shutting down because uh, this just in. No one was reading Jezebel. And that certainly doesn't stop a lot of the journalism major left wing goobers on Twitter and other social media from writing these long epitaphs of how much Jezebel meant to them, even though you and I know that they didn't actually ever read Jezebel. And Jezebel joins the long line of failed publications. And I do mean the long, long line of failed publications in the last few years from the left that have shut their doors because no one is wasting their time reading some of these just incredible pieces of journalism. So let's go through a few of these just to remember Jezebel as it was just so that you can really hold this dear to your hearts. Um, Science to women. Try literature instead. It's an entire article uh, saying that um, English and history uh, should not be for women. And that if you really want to be a strong woman, don't go after things that you perhaps enjoy doing. Uh, a lot of women enjoy English and history. Um, that just happens to be a way biologically that a lot of women develop around middle school. They tend towards English and history, whereas boys tend towards uh, some of the the sciences and what would be considered the the grittier arts. And that's not a sexist point. Those are students making those decisions. Well, Jezebel's saying that's really bad. So this article is even if you were going to go into uh, perhaps a history field or you had a job offer uh, doing something that you enjoyed. Uh, the author of the article said, uh, Laura Beck says that, well, you should throw that aside and try coding for a few years. Um, the idea of coding for a few years sounds exhausting and a half to me. Um, and I really quite enjoy computers, but that's not the worst Jezebel has to offer. Um, when the Chicago Teachers Union went on strike in COVID and said that reopening was an act of misogyny and white supremacy and racism, because, you know, the, the horrible racist acts performed throughout history, like opening a school. Um, well, Aaron Gloria Ryan says that actually it's really empowering for the women of the Chicago's teachers union to feel the vibrance of a strike because, you know, if you asked men in the sixties, fifties, or excuse me, the fifties, sixties, and seventies in the labor union strikes, um, in which many of them ended up shot or dead, uh, what the most important part of that is, obviously it would, it was really empowering to be a part of a labor strike, um, against a manufacturing industry or the coal industry. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that in 2020, uh, we could actually give uh, women a chance to experience what being in a strike is all about um, by not showing up to school uh, like you agreed to in your contract. There are a couple of excellent stinkers um, that are my personal favorite. This entire article in 2015 is titled, Matt Damon interrupts successful black filmmaker to explain her diversity to her. And if your eyes aren't rolling into the back of your head as I read that headline, um, they will when I tell you that uh, he interrupted her to talk about someone in his own family and the experiences that they had when they were in college. Um, He didn't explain diversity to her. He said, oh, I know what you're talking about. Um, See, when my cousin was in college, uh, she had an experience like that. I left this journal. You don't hate journalists enough, guys. You you just don't. You think you do, but you don't. 
Um, and then the best part about all of just Jezebel's incessant failures um, is that when they have shut down, the posts about them shutting down have not gotten basically any appreciation at all. So no one's out there in the normal world that doesn't have a journalism degree from some kind of an Ivy league school saying, Oh, I remember that one Jezebel article that really just empowered me. It was like Gilmore girls on an article. No, no one's out there doing that. No, it has died a quiet death, just like the Huffington post did in 2021. Just like several of the Gannett Regional newspapers. Gannett Regional newspapers include the USA Today affiliated publications. Um, The Indianapolis Star is one that will not be open forever, as you can see a lot of its staff jumping ship right now because no one's reading it anymore. Uh, But ones that have shut down include El Sol in California, the Columbus Dispatch in Ohio, the Star Tribune in Minneapolis is starting to cut a lot of its staff, and the Indianapolis Star uh, already cut one of its major printing um, offices earlier in January. No one is reading these publications, and uh, I don't know if you guys kind of can put two and two together here. Uh, This one had to be explained to me. Publications no one reads don't make money. I I know I you kind of had to sit down for that one. Um, the Texas Observer was a, a crusading liberal magazine in Texas that said bold things like uh, Texas needed to elect an illegal immigrant queer woman for uh, governor. Um, they didn't actually have anyone in mind. They just said that Texas needed to find uh, someone who fit that description. Um, so basically, the Biden administration hiring process for a Supreme Court justice. Uh, anywho, they closed in March 26th. Uh, Splinter is a liberal website or was a liberal news website or commentary website I'd never even heard of. Um, And it closed in 2019. I guess it had a large liberal market share. And uh, a lot of people say that it's because people are really tired of biased news. I got to tell you, I don't I don't think so, because all news is biased. Everything. Every single anchor, every single journalist, every single commentator is in some way, shape or form a pundit. You have some area of expertise, and then you take that expertise that you have and you weigh it against news and issues that are prevalent in the community. Everyone, every and journalists that tell you they don't have any bias, you know, journalists that tell you that there's no kind of bias in the system and I'm just trying to deliver straight news. Look, you can try to deliver straight news, but you are going to be biased because your opinions govern how you report facts, period. And the fact of the matter is the country seems to be drifting away from left-leaning publications, not because they're they're biased and, and they're kind of turning away from it because conservative biased publications are doing just fine. The reason is that for a long time, left-leaning publications played by a different set of rules than the rest of the journalistic world. And kind of really trying centrist and independent and nonprofit publications and then publications on the right When you stated something is fact, you were expected for that thing to be a fact. You were expected for that particular instance to have uh, some kind of factual basis, some data to base it on. This is very common stuff. And yet they didn't have to follow that because they were funded by all of these large organizations who were just kind of churning out the printing presses anyway. Well, unfortunately, that's no longer paying the bills. So people are just going to other publications that have built up a following of people who are actually reading them. 
And this is why we're in the place that we are today, which is honestly a pretty good place. Media institutions of the past are falling apart. No one's really watching WTHR on Channel 13 anymore, not compared to how they were 15 years ago. And you can do the whole, well, you know, television killed the radio star. Internet is really killing um, local news. And I've heard that so many different times. Yet you can point out specific regional and local publications around the country that are doing just fine because they are printing things people want to read. There's an Indie Star advertisement circulating Facebook right now that is trying to get people to subscribe to the star if they're a foodie because they've got food columns. That is the only post the Indie Star has posted as an ad in the last couple of years that I have seen, and I've seen a lot of Indie Star ads that have gotten any attention at all because no one wants to subscribe to them. Indie Star has horrible political takes. Even their sports takes today are vapid and pretty empty. People notice. People don't want that anymore. And so you're going to see this shift away from left-leaning controlled legacy media continuing on down the line because, again, if there's not a market for it, no one's going to pick it up and carry it. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit about the UN because, my, my, what a garbage fire. You're listening to the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You're listening to the Tony Kennett Cast on 93 WIBC. GOP presidential hopeful Nikki Haley saying uh, she's not going to pull out of the U.N. if she's elected president of the United States. And honestly, that's kind of a weird thing to hear coming from a Republican in the last couple of years, given the fact that, A, uh, Republicans have started this series of promises to dismantle a lot of federal organizations, pull out of a lot of international organizations, quit sending our money to every country around the world that hates us, etc. And Nikki Haley, the former ambassador to the U.N. from the United States, which is kind of a useless job because things that you're going to say are you know, decided by the presidential administration before you even go. Nikki Haley should know uh, how much of a wretched hive of scum and villainy the United Nations is and has been since April 25th, 1945, when the 50 nations met in San Francisco to write the very first UN charter. And I say the very first UN charter, although the UN is really more of a sequel Because if you're going to look at the UN and all of the myriad of problems that weigh down every facet of that wet, soggy, doggy bag of paper and filth, you have to look back at the League of Nations, which was uh, Woodrow Wilson's big, huge plan of success after World War I. Um, After America came in and helped finish World War I, Woodrow Wilson, who was not doing super popularly electorally wise, Uh, he decided what the world really needed was a supranational form of government. Now, President Wilson had about uh, three and a half brain cells to his name. And after he got done showing uh, Birth of a Nation, the incredibly, incredibly racist film on the White House lawn, he decided that he would go around the country advocating for uh, this new supranational form of government that would prevent war from happening ever again. We're going to fix all of the problems And there's a reason that Woodrow Wilson had to run around the country campaigning for it, because both Democrats and Republicans in the House of Representatives and in the Senate were like, no, 
This is a horrible idea. George Washington said, no big, huge alliances. No, thank you. We don't want to be involved in this. We have enough financial issues of our own. We need to focus on the post-war economy and drive forward. The Spanish flu is also looking pretty terrible. And that is what Congress told him. So instead of governing the United States and possibly saving hundreds of thousands of lives with certain directives and military allocations regarding the spread of the Spanish flu, President Wilson went on a train tour around the country and told people to call their congressmen and women and write to them and say, oh, hey, you really need to help us pass the League of Nations. And uh, it didn't happen because Congress has to approve that kind of thing. And so Wilson went home with his tail between his legs and the League of Nations did absolutely nothing over the next couple of decades. Um, Well, I say absolutely nothing. Mexico, the country of Mexico, did write a strongly worded letter um, yelling at Germany when they annexed Austria. Other than that, the League of Nations did absolutely nothing. So they've already set a great kind of foundation for what happens in the United Nations. So 1945, June 25th, officially adopted, the United Nations becomes a thing. And, oh, we're all going to work together and we're going to have world peace and it's going to be super duper. And it absolutely goes feet in the bottom of a cement bucket thrown into Summit Lake. Horrible. Because it turns out that governing by committee is a horrible idea anyway. But when you govern by committee by committee, it's an even bigger catastrophe and fiasco. The UN Charter is not a binding constitution. It is not based on any founding principles. And even if it were based on founding Western principles like the United States Constitution, the UN is joined by a lot of nations who are not at all Western in their ethic. A lot of them have Far Eastern ethic, which celebrates a holistically different set of values in Western civilization. A lot of them come from nations in which child rape and sacrifice was still considered a thing when they joined the UN and they did not get condemned by the UN for those horrible atrocities. Instead, we thought, you know, for this one world government that we're creating, we'll just mix all of these things in and it'll just be really super duper. And it was a colossal disaster. At first, when the United States basically led the United Nations, because, you know, the United States was the only powerhouse standing after World War II, things were all right, because it was basically the United States and all of the nations that the United States kind of told what to do. And then once the Soviet Union got involved, it went completely haywire, because you cannot have a cooperating organization with people that hate you. And the United States did not learn this lesson during the Cold War, and we have not learned that lesson since. We give tens of billions of dollars a year to these organizations which absolutely despise us, full of countries that will arrest American citizens and throw them in prison without repercussions. Vietnam is a member of the Human Rights Council. And they're not the only atrocity. Venezuela is a member of the Human Rights Council. Again, the the, the council that decides what human rights are in the world, what those laws mean, what kind of sanctions and angry words are levied at, at nations like Israel for retaliating against Hamas. African states like Egypt, Eritrea, Somalia, and Sudan, the Democratic Republic of Congo, where you too can be a child soldier, are members of the Human Rights Council. Now, I will remind you that we have also seen the United Nations fail just drastically militarily. Every place that the UN has gone to occupy during a serious cultural or military conflict, there are pictures of UN soldiers standing in their stupid tidy bowl blue bucket helmets 
watching women be raped, cities be burnt to the ground, and innocent people be shot by firing squad. And there's just some UN goober in the background standing there, la di da da everything's fine, I'm from the UN. And that's all that they have ever been, ever. UN organizations in countries that govern certain schools and law offices are incredibly corrupt. They are so corrupt that several nations have elected entire administrations to power with the goal of getting United Nations organizations out of their country, and the United States has several offices for them. It sucks tens of billions of dollars a year from the United States just so that we can be finger-wagged by organizations that shoot women in the head for not wearing a hat. It's incredible. And yet Nikki Haley, oh, holier than that. Well, we can't leave the UN after all. We're, we're kind of making sure that it doesn't go crazy to begin with. Are we? You think that if we pulled out the United, the United States pulled out of the United Nations, all of a sudden, like the UN is going to become this super military elite organization of governmental incredible amazingness. Where does that come from? Government organizations suck all the time, no matter who the government is. Pull out of the UN. Ron DeSantis has promised to. Trump is leaning on the idea of it. Ramaswamy is promising to. Nikki Haley, ah, I don't know. Don't want to be too radical. Fantastic. I hope that the new president of Argentina pulls Argentina out of the UN. I hope that whoever the next president of the United States is, they pull out of the United Nations. There's no reason for us to be there. And you shouldn't be taking orders or condemnation from some random country in Africa or the Middle East or Southeast Asia who has no more idea of human rights than they do about how to keep their streets clean. That is a core fundamental of how American foreign policy should work. If we are really going to be the leader of the free world, the first part about being a leader is not thinking about what all of the nonsense, stupid opinions out there are that govern your leadership. Not something that America should take note. And if it's going to re-enter the world stage as a strong power, yes, an isolationist power, if that's the way your foreign policy flies, then the very first thing we have to do is to stop funding these nations and organizations that want nothing but the destruction of the United States and free access to all of her resources. That about wraps it up for tonight. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you tomorrow. This has been the Tony Kinnacast on 93 WIBC. 